Good morning again, everyone. Uh, hopefully you've heard this a few times already here at Brookside, but let me throw one more onto the plate and say, uh, say thanks for coming. Really, if you're a regular attender or if you're a visitor, we're glad that all of you are here to join us this morning. And I cannot believe that two weekends from now we're going to be celebrating Christmas. Um, two weekends from now is Christmas on Sunday, so wow. I, I was talking to my wife a little bit on the phone <laughs> where she called me like over the course of 10 minutes from some parking lot of some place, and she like moved ahead three cars over the course of 10 minutes, so this is where I just avoid anything commercial for about the next four weeks. Um, yeah, so uh, as you plan your calendar for that weekend, uh, for Christmas weekend, and as you invite neighbors and friends and coworkers to Brookside Church, uh, to, to Brookside Church, to Brookside Services who don't have a church home, let me remind you what Steve already mentioned. We have services at a little different times than normal on that, uh, on that Christmas weekend. We're doing kind of Thursday evening or afternoon sometime, and then a couple on Saturday. Check the website, check your worship folder, all the specifics are there. But the thing to also hear um, is that there are no services on Sunday, December 25th here. So gasp, you know. Um, the, the thing you want to do is flip whatever switch you need to flip in your minds. So that way you approach the services you attend on Thursday or on Saturday as your worship experience for that weekend. So, so we absolutely want you to come and be ready to engage with worship through music, through hearing the gospel, through everything that we'll do during those services. And, and again, just approach those as your, um, as your worship services that weekend. And then don't worry. Uh, everything returns to the same bat time and the same bat channel the following weekend on January 1st. So you don't have to be in disequilibrium for too long with that. And also related to those Christmas services, we, we want to keep hitting a home run with the ministry that we offer that weekend. Uh, we want to offer all the people who come through our doors for the first time who don't normally attend a church we want to offer them the same sort of taste of ministry that we all get here each week. Um, the, the above and beyond care, the clear understanding of the gospel. And this is on my mind a bit for visitors because last weekend, Carrie and I, uh, we were out of town for the weekend, so we had the chance to, to do something pastors don't often get to do since I'm immersed in ministry here most weekends. But I got to visit another church nearby where we were staying, um, out in western Nebraska a little bit. And uh, it was a good church. Uh, my, my, my wife and I, my family were ministered to. I'm grateful for the ways this church is impacting the community I was in. But there was one point where I was going into the church for their services, and I just had a question about something. I don't even remember what the question was about. But I had a question about something while we were entering their worship center. And this, this isn't a huge deal, but, but it took me like two or three minutes to find out who the right person for me to ask the question of and kind of to get to the right place for my question to be answered. And what it made me do is it sure made me appreciate the blue shirts that we've got around here. Uh, I'm pretty convinced there's somewhere that I've never seen in this church where there's some person painted all in blue that's about 12 feet tall that's looking at this room of TVs that the second somebody has a question that needs to be answered or that needs to be addressed, there's kind of this swarm, swarm, swarm mentality of blue shirts that we just know we can go to them and have our questions answered and our needs responded to. So, so I'm so grateful for that sort of ministry that we can offer. And then last weekend when we were checking our kids in uh, to the children's ministry, we hit some minor bumps with, with knowing kind of processes and kind of what order to do stuff in and where to bring our kids. Uh, that'll probably always be the case when you have four boys between the ages of six and three. But, but what it made me do is it sure made me appreciate the care 
in the, the processes and in the above and beyond ministry that our, worship, that, our, that our children's ministry shows my family and so many of our families each week. Our hosts and our children's teams are so important for accomplishing the sort of ministry we want to be known for at Brookside. So again, bringing it back to Christmas services, just like every other weekend then, we, for our Christmas services, we want to bring our A game with having a fully staffed host team and children's volunteers. And so here's where I'm going with, with all of this. We've got a number of our regular volunteers who are traveling or who are otherwise unavailable to help out in their regular roles that weekend. And so we need some of you to man up or woman up and help out to serve in some of these ways. There's a card in your worship folder with, um, with a chance to sign up. Once you fill out the card, hand it to one of our host team members, you'll be contacted with all the details you need to know to make sure you know exactly what you're doing, what's going on, when you need to be places as you do these ways. And before the service ends, Rob will probably remind you of this again, just in case there's a hypothetical universe where he forgot to do that first service. Hopefully he'll do that again in this service. But, but, but take that card out now. Remember to fill that out. And um, please, please consider helping serve this need for, for the good of the ministry we want to offer that weekend. All right? Let me pray, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll jump into God's Word together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you, as always, for this chance that you give us to worship together as a group of people who, who need to hear from you. So, Father, we, we acknowledge our dependence on you if anything of value is going to happen in us and among us here this morning. So, so Father, open the eyes of our hearts that we, that we might see wonderful things out of your word. Jesus, we love you, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, this morning we continue our family series where we've been looking closely at core attributes that we want to build into families here as a church at Brookside. And right here at the beginning, let, we, let me remind all of us that this series, it doesn't just apply to the million young families that we have running around here every Sunday. If you're still in school, or if you're a single career person, or if you're an empty nester, we're all a part of a family at some level, as parents or grandparents, as sons or daughters, as brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles or nieces or nephews. We all need to hear truth from God's word and to consider how that truth applies in the relational context that, that touches every one of us, our families. And the topics we've covered so far, even Stephen mentioned them, are forgiveness and trust. And it's been really cool for me to hear lots of stories from you about ways this series and these topics have challenged you to fresh steps of obedience in their lives and in their families. And uh, the thing to know, obviously, is, is as we live out obedience in these areas, we can never guarantee how family members might receive us when we start to live out forgiveness and live out trust. But here's the thing that I can confidently say for myself and from talking to so many of you. As we live out obedience in these areas, I think we can confidently say we'll see God work in us and through us and around us in some really evident, really cool ways. So, uh, so keep pressing in to faithfully obeying God's word. And what's on the plate for this morning is commitment. And even more specifically, we're talking about commitment to God. Because as important as commitment kind of broadly conceived or commitment to each other is, I think commitment to God is even more foundational. And here's what I mean when I talk about commitment to God. It means your life is ordered 
under a faithful, faithful obedience to God's will. It means your commitment to God isn't the only commitment in your life, but it's the primary one. It means our commitment to God provides shape to every other commitment we have, and it must come first. So before we jump into God's word, I want to address one, one, one common misunderstanding about commitment to God. It's something uh, maybe we've all heard, or probably the person next to you maybe has heard. Um, a lot of us have heard it. And that common misunderstanding is that our commitment to God is, is entirely a private, individual thing. That that's great for you, but don't let it influence anybody outside of the bubble that is you. Now, certainly, it's true that we can't and we shouldn't force our commitment to God on others. If you hold someone down until they come to your view of things, it probably backfires. It's true that we need to use great wisdom in communicating with people and relating with people who believe very different things than we do. But at the same time, we need to understand that throughout the Bible, it's kind of a given that the Christian faith will and it should influence the way we live with others in the public spheres of our lives. Since we're talking about families in this series, let me explain this a bit um, by, by just looking at this issue of, of, our, of our Christian faith, our commitment to God, living itself out in ways that it ripples, ripples out from us to others, specifically through the lens of family relationships. And as we do this, I think this will show you how important this topic of commitment to God is as we consider core attributes for ourselves and our families. Uh, we're going to start jumping into God's Word here. Uh, right from the get-go, I'm going to look at three or four or five passages pretty quickly. Uh, so don't worry about jumping to me with all of these. They'll throw up on the screen here in just a second. In a few minutes, don't worry, we'll have the chance to camp more fully in one passage. But, but where I'm going first to build this case of why commitment to God is so important is Exodus 20, verses 2 and 3. This is the first of the Ten Commandments where we read, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the land of slavery, then, then here it is. You shall have no other gods before me. Pretty clear statement of the commitment we should show towards God, right? But then over in our, in, in our New Testaments, in the book of Ephesians, we see the Apostle Paul telling us that this commitment to God isn't just for Tim Wiebe and no one else. It should influence our family relationships. So a few weeks ago, we looked at Ephesians 5 and the commands to husbands and wives that Paul gives. I'm just going to do a, a drive-by shooting or a drive-by reading here. If you want more commentary on these passages, go back and listen to Jeff's sermon from a few weeks ago. But Ephesians 5.22, Paul commands wives. He says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And Jeff solved that one for us a few weeks ago, so go listen to that. You know. uh, next, a few verses down, Ephesians 5, verses 25 and 26. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Next chapter, Ephesians 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Verse 4 of Ephesians 6, he talks to dads. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Now, the thing to notice is that none of these commands makes any sense if they're not driven by a commitment to the Lord. But we also see that a commitment to the Lord falls short of God's design if it, just, if it stays only with me and doesn't start to influence the way I give myself up for my wife and the way that I train and instruct my kids. 
our commitment to the Lord is supposed to send ripples out into our family relationships. And so now that we've been introduced to this idea of commitment to the Lord for ourselves and in our families, I think the question becomes how. How can I cultivate that sort of commitment? So to answer that question, let's turn to Joshua 24. And here's where we're going to camp for the rest of the morning. So if you're opening up your Bibles with me, turn to Joshua 24. For the rest of you, it'll get thrown up on the screens. But what we'll see in Joshua 24 is that this passage confronts us with two truths that we need to absorb if we're to cultivate a commitment to the Lord for ourselves and then also in our families. So here's how we're going to roll this morning. Instead of working through Joshua 24 sequentially, uh, we're going to dive into the middle and then we're going to hit reverse and back our way up through basically from verse 15 back to the beginning. So, so let's go to verse 15, to the very last sentence, the very last thought of that verse. Because this verse is originally what drove me to this passage as I was preparing to preach on commitment in families. This verse is probably one you've heard. Uh, you've maybe seen it framed in houses. I've got it framed in my house. You've maybe seen it on a coffee mug in cursive because for some reason when you put verses on a coffee mug, they have to be in cursive. You're probably familiar with this verse. But here's what it is. Joshua 24, 15. Joshua finishes kind of this group of sentence he's talking about by saying, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. That's it, you know? Great verse, right? I mean, that's the sort of resolute commitment we want, given what we've already talked about. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But once we take one step back and look at the two verses that this verse is part of, at verses 14 and 15, we see that this, this idea of commitment to God uh, has to go through something. We realize the first truth about commitment to God that we need to absorb. And here's what it is. From this larger context of even these two verses, well, let, let me read these verses because I was about to forget to. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. There's the commitment, you know. Be committed to God with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And there it is again. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So from the larger context of, e- of even just these two verses, we need to realize that, that the first truth we have to absorb about our commitment to God is that our commitment to God never comes without competition. Our commitment to God never comes without competition. In these verses, we see that while Joshua commits to serving the Lord, he is fully aware that there are other so-called gods, gods that he mentions, these these so-called gods beyond the Euphrates, or, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're now living. He's fully aware that there are these so-called gods, even in the midst of the Israelite community that probably make their own promises, that offer their own version of fulfillment, and that make their own claims on allegiance. All of these other gods are tempting Israel away from worship of the true God, Yahweh. And while I, I know Joshua would say, there is nothing equal or comparable between Yahweh, the God of Israel over here, and all of these other gods over on this side, Nevertheless, 
Joshua is direct enough to say, even though there's no comparison, he's direct enough to let people know they've got to choose where they place their ultimate allegiance. It's Yahweh, Joshua says, or these other gods. You can't be exclusively committed to two things. And this makes sense, you know, by by its definition. Exclusive commitment means one thing rises above everything else. Even my kids get this. With Christmas coming up, we've been talking about what's on their list. And every now and then, Carrie and I say something, especially to our older two who kind of get Christmas a little bit more, our six-year-old and our four-year-old. We say something like, hey guys, you know you can't get everything on your list because you gave us a thumb drive worth of stuff, you know. You, you know we can't get you everything. And so, so what do you really want? And Karsten and Jaden, they know that's their chance to tell us that one thing that's starting to rise above everything else and grab their attention. Now, for my boys, this one thing changes every time they visit Target or get another of the quadzillion magazines we get in our mail this time of year. But, but nevertheless, they know they've got to choose. They know that when we ask them, hey, hey guys, what do you really want? They know that they can't list off 18 different things. They know they better give us one thing or there's nothing at all. Only one thing can be at the top of their list. And as we consider commitment to God for ourselves and for our families, we too need to realize there's only one thing that can be at the top of our list. There's plenty of things that try to, that try to get onto our list, you know? There's plenty of competition for our allegiance today as well. But we can only be committed to one thing. Here are some of those things that might compete for our commitment to God. For some of us, it's the sport or it's the club that our kids are involved in. For others of us, uh, it's a personal hobby maybe or some hobby that captures our entire family. For others of us, it's some value, like making money. That's what we build our lives around. For others of us, it's having kids that are socially adjusted uh, and socially accepted in their spheres of influence. For others of us, it might be having new technology or, or the latest entertainment trend. There's a million things that you and your family can be about. And the thing is, any of these things can be all-consuming. Any of these things make their own claims on our allegiance. They offer their own version of fulfillment, and they make their own promises. Any of these things can compete with our commitment to the Lord. And one of the toughest things to do, though, is to actually identify what those particular things are for us. They compete with my commitment to God. You see, most of us just aren't that self-aware, and we don't do that level of introspection. Uh, But it's important that we nevertheless do the work of identifying what those things are that compete with our commitment to God and that are absolutely unique to me. Because what competes with my commitment to God might be very different than what competes to your commitment to God or your commitment to God. And so here are four questions that are good for me to go through every now and then that help me pin down what those things are that compete for my commitment to God. So they're kind of questions slash things because a couple of these don't have a question mark at the end, but bear with me, you know. So, so here we go. Here's first. Um, I need to look at my schedule and the way I spend my money. So let's build a question into that. Um, If someone had to guess at my top commitments just based on that, on my budget and on my calendar, what would they guess my top commitments are? 
And especially look at your discretionary bonding, your discretionary spending. Somebody caught me after first service and they said, well, they would say my top commitment was food because I've got four or five kids and we spend a whole lot of money on food, you know. I'm not saying starve your kids. Don't hear me say that. But especially with your discretionary spending, where does it go, you know? Uh, If someone had to look at your budget and your calendar, where would they guess those priorities are for you? Second question, what fills my mind when I'm not forced to think about something else? When I'm not absorbed with a task at work? When I'm not absorbed with, with something that demands my attention at home? If there was a way to videotape what goes on in my mind when I'm, um, when I'm stopped at a red light, when I'm driving home from work, what would the replay of that video show? Because the thing is, uh, how you spend your spare thoughts that shows you where your heart is inclined. That shows you what most captures you, what most has your attention. Third question, when things get busy and I have to rearrange my schedule, what usually gets shuffled out? That shows you the bottom end of your commitment list. And then what consistently finds its way in? No matter when things get busy, what always seems to find its way is, is it, is it that two hours of TV at the end of every day, or is it something else? And then fourth question, if you're bold, if I have kids, what would they say is the most important thing to me and, uh, and or our family? You see, my, my, my guess is after these questions, most of us can have identified that thing or those things that are unique to us, but that compete for our commitment to the Lord. And the challenge now is to make the decision to say, you know, above all of these things, I want my commitment to the Lord to rise above it. I want my commitment to the Lord to rise above any of these other things that could compete for my commitment. For some of you, today might be the first day you want to say that. But for the rest of us that have maybe said, hey, I've done that five years ago or 20 years ago, we need to realize this is a commitment we make today and tomorrow and next week and next month and next year. This is a commitment we come back to often because those competitors don't go away. The thing with Joshua 24 is, is it's cool. Joshua's kind of standing in front of this whole Israelite community, says, but as for me and my household, we'll serve the Lord. Uh, great statement. And then after that, in the rest of the passage, Everybody else kind of says, yeah, we want in too. Our commitment is to the Lord. And then it's crazy. Joshua tries to talk them out of that. (laughs) He says, are you sure you want that? Do you know what that means to be committed to the Lord? Everybody's kind of saying, yeah, 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 we want that. By the end of Joshua 24, everybody's in. They've kind of renewed the covenant. If there's a section heading in your Bible, that's probably what it says before chapter 24. But the thing is, everybody says exactly what they're supposed to do on that day in Joshua 24. But then you flip over one page in your Bibles to the book of Judges. And you realize that in Judges chapter 1 and chapter 2, that it took one generation for Israel to tank it. You know, because Judges 1 and 2 talk all about this spiral downward that Israel did. After this great commitment to the Lord, they said in Joshua 24, they didn't make that a daily consistent commitment. So, so make that ultimate commitment to the Lord but do it often. And thankfully, our next, our next point shows why this sort of ultimate commitment absolutely makes so much sense. So let's go back to verse 15 in Joshua 24 with that famous statement of Joshua again. 
But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And now let's take an even larger step back and not just look at the two verses that statement is embedded in, but let's look at verses 1 to 13, at everything in the chapter that precedes that. And what I'm going to do is I'm I'm just going to summarize what's going on in those verses. In these verses, in verses 1 to 13, we realize what motivated Joshua to say what he did in verse 15. In these verses, we we're confronted with a second truth that we need to come to terms with as we pursue commitment to God. And the second truth is that our commitment to God is motivated by God's commitment to us. Our commitment to God is motivated by God's commitment to us. You see, Joshua, it wasn't just kind of throwing darts at some dartboard to kind of say, well, is it Yahweh or is it these other gods? It wasn't some sort of random commitment like that. When I was in sixth grade playing Tecmo Bowl with the best of them, I made this random commitment to the Pittsburgh Steelers, which I've stuck with for, for the rest of my days since then, which has worked out well for me. But you know, when you're playing Tecmo Bowl, if, you've, if, if anybody's ever played Tecmo Bowl, you need to find it online somewhere and play it. But, but I just kind of made this random commitment to, okay, Steelers are my team. It was, it was just this kind of random throw of the darts to kind of say, my friends like the, like the Bears and the uh, and the Lions, I can't, so I'm going with the Steelers, you know, that sort of thing. That's not what our commitment to God is driven by. Our commitment to God also isn't driven by just some sort of white-knuckled resolution. It's not like, I should do this, I should do this, I should do this, but when somebody asks you why you're doing it, you can't say. That's not what our commitment to God is like. It's not like either of those things. Our commitment to God arises, it should flow, overflow, out of God's commitment to us. And that's what these verses, verses 1 through 13 of Joshua 24, are all about. Joshua is drawing this picture of Israel's history that highlights beyond any shadow of a doubt God's gracious, powerful, initiating commitment to his people. Even just a surface-level skim of these passages will show us what I'm talking about. So we're going to fly through these. Um, Verses 2 to 4. Joshua highlights God's gracious call of Abraham, not because of anything Abraham did, but because God decided to make his broken creation right again. So it highlights God's gracious call of Abraham and the ways the Lord blessed Abraham with many descendants. God is the main subject. Verses 5 to 7, Joshua highlights how God is more powerful than the Egyptians and their gods and graciously rescues his people from slavery in Egypt. Verses 8 through 13, talk more about God faithfully bringing his people into the land that he'd promised them. And through it all, through these verses, God's commitment to his people can't be thwarted and and everything else follows on God's commitment to his people. Everything else kind of goes exactly according to the way God has planned it, according to his commitment. God's commitment took the initiative in going ahead of preparing the way for the Israelites Again and again and again and again and again and again in these verses, God is the subject. Everything else about Israel's history that make up the first six books of our Bibles is mostly left out. Just kind of say, here's what God did for Abraham. Here's what God did for Moses. Here's what God did bring his people into the promised land. God's commitment to his people is just, is the drumbeat of these first 13 verses. Go back and read these verses again for yourself later. I think you'll see my point. But the thing is, with this understanding of God's resume in mind, his commitment to his people in mind, 
it's no wonder that Joshua was compelled to commit to the God of Israel. I think, I think Joshua wanted to, because I think as he remembered all the ways God had worked for Israel, for their good, I think he would say, you know what? These other gods, the gods beyond the Euphrates, the gods of the Amorites, they don't compare to what the God of Israel has done for us. In Brookside, what we need to understand is that Joshua was looking back on God's actions from just the first six books of our Bible. As we consider the rest of Scripture, God's commitment to us is only reinforced. And of course, the supreme example of God's commitment to us is everything that we're getting ready to celebrate as a church this Christmas and this Easter. Everything we're getting ready to celebrate as we remember incarnation, crucifixion, and resurrection. All of these things show us beyond a shadow of a doubt God's commitment to us. I talk with people often in my office who wonder if God is committed to them. Uh, it, it, it can be tough to interpret the experiences of our personal lives, you know? And, and so it can be tough for them to say, here's identifiable, identifiable uh, let me see if I can say the word, identifiable ways I see God at work. It can be tough to do that. But what I try to draw these people back to is, is however confusing your life might have been and may be. Um, one, I think God is at work whether you notice it or not. But two, appreciate the fact that there's this historical act of God loving the world and sending his son for us. That if you question God's commitment to you, go back to what we celebrate at Christmas. Go back to what we celebrate at Easter, where Jesus Christ died for you. So you have the possibility to know God personally. So, so this supreme example of God's commitment to us, it should compel us and invite us to be committed ourselves to God, to say, if that's the God I can serve, that doesn't compare at all to the empty promises of whatever else that thing is for you. God is incomparably better than anything else. So let me see if I can bring these two truths that we've discovered from Joshua 24 into one larger big idea that tries to capture them both. Here's what I've got. If you're taking notes, here's one more thing to write down. A right view of God leads to wholehearted commitment to God. A right view of God, the way he is for you, leads to wholehearted commitment to God, unsurpassably, incomparably compared to anything else. And so for some of you this morning, what you need to do after this sermon is maybe just revisit how you think about God. If your view of God is just an idea that isn't blown away by God's incomparable grace and power for you, then let me encourage you to get reintroduced to the God of the Bible and his son Jesus Christ, where, again, we see beyond a shadow of a doubt his commitment for you. For others of you, maybe you can fill in all the right blanks about who God is, what he's done for you, why he came, but you know, you know you've been toying with, with that thing that competes for your commitment. You, you know that the drift of life has brought you away from commitment to God and you're toying with commitment to something else. As you answer those four questions we looked at earlier, that thing just kept coming up to you again. You said, I know exactly what that thing is. 
and I'm in it, you know? If that's you this morning, let me be, let me be caring, but direct, you know? You can only be exclusively committed to one thing. Now, this doesn't mean you go move to some secluded portion of Nebraska and buy a robe with a hood and wear that all day. You know, that's not what this sort of commitment to God looks like. What it does is this sort of commitment to God, it just means you order all of the details of your life, everything that you're involved in, you order that under God instead of ordering God somewhere under everything else. And then for all of us, let's remember that the reason we're even talking about this idea of commitment this morning is because of this family series that we're in. And we can't ignore how commitment to God takes shape in our families. So let me throw out two places for you to start applying this in your families. There's a million more places you can go after this, but I think these two places to start are, are just that, are the things that we've got to build into our lives no matter where else application takes us. So first of all, first application Start with yourself. Make sure your commitment is in the right place for the right reasons. Don't be the dad who says, I want my kids to have a church experience growing up, but I'm going to ride the fence, you know? Don't be the mom who says, I know I need to get up, get my kids to church, but is this really that necessary? Show your family that the commitment you want them to have starts with you. Second application See your family as a place to live out your commitment to the Lord instead of a place to hide it. And this is tough to do because your, your, your family knows you better than anyone else. My wife over here, she sees the underbelly of me in everything that's bad about Tim. If, you, if you're going to ask her, what are the first five things that come in your mind when you think about Tim? Hopefully one would be a few good things, but pretty quickly she'd be able to rattle off some things that just aren't very pretty about who I am. It can be tough for me to live out a commitment to God with someone who knows the sins that I struggle with, the ways I respond in wrong ways to certain things. But nevertheless, we still need to live out commitment to God there and see family as a place to live it out instead of a place to hide it. With extended family, we're all going to see extended family probably this Christmas, live it out there as well. No extended family is always messy. We've all got that cousin or that aunt or uncle or that brother or sister that makes it tough for us to be a Christian makes it awkward. Uh, if you don't think you're that messy cousin, the thing I always say is, is you probably are that person that everybody else talks about, you know. But, but it can be tough to live this out with your families. Nevertheless, see your family as a place to live out your commitment to God rather than a place to hide it. Do this, certainly do this winsomely and wisely. You got to do that. But at the same time, do it noticeably and unmistakably so that when others see you they can say, but as for Tim and his household, he wants to serve the Lord. May that be true for all of our families here at Brookside and for us as a church, a family of families. So let me pray for us, and then Rob will be up to close us in one more song. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for your word that confronts us with these realities of commitment, that, that Father, you surpass and are incomparable when, uh, when, when brought up against these other things that compete for our commitment. God, we, we thank you for your commitment to us first. God, impress those truths in fresh ways on our hearts. And Jesus, um, may, may there be many families as a result of this sermon that go home and over lunch say, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So Jesus, we need you for that kind of activity to happen in us and among us. 
We love you, Jesus. Pray these things in your name. Amen.